When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this week's show on Friday, March 11th, 2022. Today is the day that Turning Red finally showed up on Disney+. And, Jesus, that was so ridiculously entertaining. And in a weird sort of way, a groundbreaking film I kind of feel like every kid on the planet who's on the verge of puberty should be forced to watch a double feature of, of Pixar's Luca and, and Turning Red because both of them basically kind of have the same message that you can love your family and still want to break away from them, be your own person, I, that it's absolutely okay to be weird. Unless, of course, you're in Florida. You don't want to be different down to the Sunshine Sage or Texas. That might bite you. No, I think Luca and... Uh... Alberto's relationship would, you, you, you know, we couldn't talk about that in Florida, Jim. There we go. So, obviously, folks, been a crazy, crazy week for news, but I promise you we'll get to in a sec. But first, the news portion of Fine Tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. And this week on uh, on My Favorite Murder, Georgia Hardstock and Karen Kilgariff had Jack Brennan on. He's the co-host of the, of the great uh, music podcast, Disgraceland. And Jack said this amazing thing about how people disagree on issues right now and how difficult it has become to talk to one another, that it's no longer a, a world where you can say, I'm right and you're wrong. It's more that I'm right, and you're a disgusting pervert. Did you see the responses from DeSantis's office when people were disagreeing with this bill, and they were basically insinuating that people were pedophiles? Yes, that's it exactly. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole groomer thing. So I bring this issue up because just last week we were talking about the Don't Say Gay bill and the position the Walt Disney Company had staked out prior to this bill actually being voted on up in Tallahassee. And Bob Chapek really dug himself a hole back on March 7th when he said the company wouldn't be taking a position on this legislation because they thought, even though Disney says it supports gay, lesbian, and transgender rights, Chapek argued that corporate statements do very little to change outcomes and minds. And that attitude kind of changed over the past week, didn't it, Drew? Yeah. Well, I mean, his whole thing, it was very disingenuous mm -hmm. because... He's trying to say that the, the company is apolitical, but we both know, Jim, in two years when the Mickey Mouse copyright comes up, oh. there's going to be a lot of lobbying going on. What just struck me was when he would get caught, like, for example, the thing of, you know, when that statement, you know, the, the initial statement went out, then he did, then yeah. did the open letter to Disney employees, and he talked about how we've been working <sighs> behind the scenes trying to impact this bill and only to have DeSantis's office literally reach out and said, we only just heard from Disney today after the vote. So well, can we talk about the, we are changing hearts and minds through our content? 
including citing several projects that Disney had nothing to do with, but simply acquired during the 20th Century Fox. But this is the thing. As the week went on, it just got worse and worse. Do you want to talk about the letter from the Pixar employees? Yeah, sure. Okay. So the Pixar employee letter was pretty standard, you know, that they didn't feel feel seen and and what's amazing, Jim, you'll have to watch before you're before turning red round two, mm-hmm. watch the documentary okay. called Embrace the Panda. Mm-hmm. And you'd see just how much of senior leadership mm-hmm. and how much of the artists that put these Pixar movies together are a part of the queer mm-hmm. community. Okay. But what is fascinating about their letter, I thought, mm-hmm. from an animation standpoint, from a, uh, you know, someone who was very involved with with the uh, Onward team was that they claim that they have tried to put forward gay and lesbian characters Mm -hmm. and that they have been rejected. So when Jim and I talk about Luca and Alberto's friendship Mm. being more than a friendship, Mm -hmm. I think this is a pretty, this is what we call Jim a smoking gun. And you just watch Turning Red, I'm pretty sure one of her friends is kind of coded Mm -hmm. as gay, but clearly they would want this stuff to be more Overt, front and center. Overt, yeah, you know. know. And and they even remarked that they got notes back from Disney. Mm -hmm. And obviously a lot of the reporting mentioned the gay character in Onward, And how, even though it's a blink and you'll miss it reference, mm. it got banned from all these countries. So as this is going south, Disney starts to work the standard playbook. Like, for example, the the we're going to make a $5 million donation to the human oh, rights God. campaign. And to have the HRC summarily reject Disney's payment. You know, I mean, just a little, we're not going to take your money. Yeah. You need to make real change. We're, we're not going to take your money until you make real change. And to have things like the tweet today from Walt Disney Feature Animation. For me, it's just sort of startling to watch how quickly this got away from Disney and to watch Chapek in real time realize I am in over my head. Can we talk about today's statement? Yes, yes. Well, this is like in the last two hours or something this happened right yeah um yeah so he he apologized again with a little bit more gusto right he said that he was gonna stop the campaigns to any candidate in florida Mm -hmm. and i've had people reaching out to me saying how long until he resigns well no see now that's the interesting thing that you bring up because i i found out just yesterday that the current contract that Bob is under with the Walt Disney Company expires at the end of this year. And Bob already had strike one against him with the Scarlett Johansson situation. I mean, that sent a really weird message to out into the entertainment community to the effect of this is how Disney's going to treat talent going forward. I mean, this was the guy who, behind the Air Buddies franchise, (laughs) a notoriously iffy... (laughs) production when it came to animal rights oh, but yeah go ahead. Just, yeah. trust me we don't want to get into that parvo story yes there's a mass grave of everybody yeah. somewhere in canada yeah, yeah. that's a that's yeah. a hell of a story there but but again the, the interesting thing is so he, that was strike one and in this 
there's so much of this that that's the horror movie scenario, like the calls coming from inside the house. <laughs> so much of this info is coming from inside of Disney and Pixar that, you know, he's literally got nobody watching his back at this point. Well, when you when you feel like your company has betrayed you, mm-hmm. the loyalty goes out the window. Right. So like you see people like Dana Terrace mm-hmm. online, oh, God, you know. Yeah. And that heartbreaking video that she posted, it's really crazy. But the thing right now is the, the ball is rolling downhill and he's getting hit from directions that honestly shouldn't be part of the narrative. But for example, did you see the story in the Los Angeles Times about how he just purchased the $12 million home? Yeah. Just pointing out that he's Disney's CEO and he was previously living in a $5 million home. And But now because, you know, he's the head of the mouse house, he needs a $12 million home. And it was just the notion of, wow. No one will be surprised is that this house is, is uglier than a dog rubbing its ass on the carpet. <laughs> oh. um, and it's in the same community as the $5 million home, which is just this totally oh. bland community it's like if a it's like a cult compound but for extremely boring people you and i both know the secondary narrative is look at this idiot in the middle of this crisis so everything that's going on he's buying a 12 million dollar home doesn't he know his right. career is hanging by a thread and it's just sort of i mean that's the thing when la turns on you like this what do you do? I mean, how quickly will Bob Chapek be going to spend time with his, you know, his family? Right. He's going to go to a nice farm upstate, Jim. <laughs> there we go. There's a lot of other bald, boring CEOs up there, and he'll have a great time. Now, you were talking about the Pixar story, about the idea of showing affection between same-sex couples, that sort of thing, just like it is in the real world. And, and that stuff had to get pared down, but... That wasn't all, I mean, it's not like, you know, okay, it's it's March of 2020. I, you know, this is when we start doing bad things to fix our films, you know, making them edit. A lot of this happened on Bob Iger's watch. But yes. do you see word one of that? No, I mean, people have been asking me about that mm-hmm. this week, mm-hmm. Jim. And I have just been saying that I think that Iger is, has a lot of the same negative qualities as Chapek, mm-hmm. but I think Iger at least presented a kind of moral compass that Chapek is totally lacking. And I think that Iger would have at least said something about these laws. Mm -hmm. I also think Iger is not as openly kind of like bloodthirsty when it comes to money. Mm -hmm. Like we've seen Chapek. I mean, Chapek has just dinged everybody Mm -hmm. who has any interaction with this company, Mm -hmm. whether it's, charging $11 to skip the line for Remy or all of these things. And it's just so apparent that he's only interested in, in money that I feel like Iger, Iger frequently spoke out about things that he thought were sort of social injustices. Mm -hmm. And Chapek's whole attitude is just really made a lot of people mad. And I think that's why you're seeing this come out on his watch, even if these things have nothing to do with him originating them. Like you said, So that's my read on it, but you might have a different opinion. Now, uh, we were talking about Mr. Chapek and and the shareholders meeting, and we got the standard stuff that, you know, normally the shareholders meetings, they showcase what's coming down the line. What did you make of this this first image that we got of Robert Zemeckis' Pinocchio? Well, it was in the presentation. It was like very fast. Mm-hmm. There was a little bit of uh, footage, and oh. I thought it was I thought it was interesting because mm-hmm. Pinocchio looks 
exactly like the animated Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. I mean, exactly. So I was wondering what you thought of that too, Jim. I hate to say this, but the backlash from the Tim Burton Dumbo, the notion of let's extend the story and let's change the look and let's lose Timothy. I have the uneasy feeling that you know, this was a note that came back. It's like, yeah, let's let's stick with classic You're Pinocchio. Right. No need to futz with success. I mean, if you think about the cast, I mean, people like Luke Evans, or, or for that matter, we got our first look at... Tom Hanks's Geppetto, which honestly doesn't wander all that far from the, no. the look of the 39 film either. I also wonder if, you know, I did that big feature for Vulture a couple of years ago mm-hmm. where I talked to Sean Bailey and he said, you know, they they have levers that they can pull that other studios can't. And I this wonder true. Yeah. if he, he's so traditional looking mm-hmm. because the Guillermo Pinocchio also coming out later this year is so different from the Disney one. I would bet you that did play into this decision as well. I mean, right. lean into your strengths. This is a great look for the character. It's been a great look for the character since the late 30s, early 40s. So, you know, <laughs> why not do it again? On the other hand, right. uh, we also got to look at, at Peter Pan and Wendy, right? Yeah, did you did you see that? I, I don't know if there were f- photos of it released after the fact, but... No, I haven't seen anything. Okay. You know, I, I missed that, that. It was very brief. It was like Pinocchio. It was very, very brief, mm-hmm. but it looked great. I mean, David Lowry is so cool. Mm-hmm. Have you seen The Green Knight yet, Jim, I, from last I, year? After I do my second viewing of, of Turning Red? I think you would really like that one a lot. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll definitely give it a yeah. shot. And speaking of corporate presentations, we also had <laughs> the Apple event earlier this week, and we got our first look at Skydance Animation's luck, right? Yeah. What did you, What did you think of that footage? I'm really hoping that this one lands. You know, I, I really like what I saw. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very interesting that they say from the creator of Toy Story and Cars. You and I have both talked about how John Lasseter being the sort of creative lead at that, that studio. I mean, it, it comes with baggage, but it's also a virtue, mm-hmm. at least for a generation of film goers. I'm going to be fascinated between now and August to see what they do with John, how they bring him out. Yeah, especially because they're about to announce somebody else is joining the team over there, which I know we've talked about. We, we have. We, we cannot discuss it yet, we, but it's a very big name oh, in animation. It's, so. it's a get. It's a get. Yeah. But again, the, the problem is for a lot of folks, they had to have watched the presentation to get that footage. On the other hand, just this week, they released a wonderful scene from the bad guys. Have you seen this thing? No, I haven't seen it. Oh, man. It's this great scene with Sam Rockwell's Mr. Wolf character. It's only like 58 seconds long. But it's it's this interaction between Rockwell's Mr. Wolf character and Zazie Beetz, Diane Foxington, the, the Fox character, and... The trailer made me excited for this movie, but to watch these characters in just a dialogue scene and how crazily well animated and staged it is, it's like April 22nd can't get here soon enough. Yes. And then we also got a trailer for Apollo 10 and a half. Uh, what did you think of that? I thought it looked amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm... I'm a huge fan of Richard Linklater, mm-hmm. and I love his anim- two other animated features, Waking Life and A Scanner Darkly. Mm-hmm. So I cannot wait for this, and I've heard it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we heard about this movie a couple of years ago when he was kind of like 
asking people from the Dallas area to mm-hmm. send in ephemera mm-hmm. from that period, from the Apollo 11 mm-hmm. uh, period. And I hear that it really gets into the kind of minutia of what it was like living back then in Texas. What did you think? I thought that the trailer is very charming and I cannot wait. It to, is. To see it, it is. And again, as a kid who grew up in the late 60s and watched, that was what was fascinating about Apollo 13, how they captured that moment where attention began to wane. Right. And that's what's what's fascinating about Apollo 10 and a half is that, you know, it's that period of time when, you know, we could not be have been more excited. We could not have been more focused on what was going on with the Apollo program. And so to put you on the ground in that world where it was really happening, amazing idea. On the other hand, I don't know if I'm quite as excited about Boss Baby Back in the Crib, the new Netflix series. This is actually supposedly picks up after the story concluded in Family Business, the sequel that came out last June, July on Peacock. The movie or the show? Remember the the Boss Baby feature film, the Boss Baby 2, that debuted on... How could I forget, Jim? Yeah. Well, I mean, Jeff Goldblum with the face of Tweedledum and Tweedledee. I mean, you know, just a, <laughs> how could you not remember that film? But I'm fairly confident as we head into this weekend, which, by the way, this is the weekend we the 49th Dandies are being held. And the Critics' Choice, which I finally got to vote in Ooh, uh, this year. Okay, so, yeah. okay. Yeah. Sadly, this show's going to go up on the 15th, I want to say. So uh, you're going to miss the live stream of the Annie's, you know, of what's being held at the Royce. But the Mitchells versus the Machine seems to be the film to beat. I mean, it's, it seems to be taking home every award in every direction. But yet just last week, the Visual Effects Society held its awards and Encanto took home the animated feature. What's your feeling as as we continue our march toward the Academy Awards? I mean, Mitchell's versus the Machines has really been campaigning mm-hmm. their little hearts out, mm-hmm. Jim. I mean, you know, you remember when I did that Q and A? That felt like that was ten months ago, and they yeah. are they are doing them all the time. Mm-hmm. So I mean, if they lose, they have put a, up a a gallant fight. I think Encanto just has seized the popular imagination mm-hmm. in a really profound way. I mean, you you saw that sizzle that they put up after the investors call of just sort of like Encanto captures the world which featured our our buddy Josh Gad dancing on a late night talk show to We Don't Talk About Bruno. But you know, I mean, yeah. Encanto mania has hit the woods of New Hampshire, I'm sure, by now. Oh, gets it. The cows down the street just can't get enough of it. <laughs> but at the same time, what's fascinating about Mitchell's versus the machine, if you're, you're paying attention to what's going on in the animation sphere, and, and again, remember, it's the animators that are going to vote for this yes. category. By the way, I, I'm offering this up because you, of all people, should start going in there to see what's going on. Titmouse, the animation studio has a careers page and they're they're talking up the various projects that they're actually looking for board artists and listen to this okay titmouse la is looking for a storyboard revisionist for an adult adventure comedy show style is kind of like mitchell's versus the machines but in 2d animation it's like mitchell's versus the machine is so popular in the animation sphere it's literally it's now a style yeah it's a an hr tactic Talk about 
ninjas versus machines. Just the notion that it's shorthand for like, right. again, it's like, okay, this is what we kind of want, that Mitchells versus the machine feel. It kind of reminds me of the early 2000s where the secret handshake among filmmakers was, what's your favorite movie of the last five years? And it's like, oh, well, obviously it's, it's Brad Bird's The Iron Giant. And it's like, okay, you're a member of the club. We have a common love. We have a common language for film. You know, we're going to get along great. This appears to be happening with Mitchell's versus The Machine. So I still want Luca to win, but because I think it's a, it's a wonderful film. But at, at the same time, I also think Turning Red is a wonderful film, which, uh, by the way, folks, when we get back from this break, uh, Drew's going to share even more stories about this Domi Shi film. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. A couple other things before we we get to talking about turning red again. Did you see the news about uh, DC League of Super Pets? Yes. Well, it's being back put bumped back a little bit. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, but, yeah. but from May twentieth to July 29th, the initial press seemed to suggest that this was COVID-related. But from more of, not from the studio side, more concerned about exhibition and kids being able to get back into theaters. Does that sound solid to you, or...? They rejiggered the entire DC slate. They did, they did, yeah. Because, I mean, Black Adam went to Halloween, Mm -hmm. and then Aquaman is off the table, and Flash are both off of this year's calendar, Mm -hmm. so... I don't know. I'm sure it's just a strategic thing. Although, did you see the new little clip with uh, Keanu Reeves as Batman? I did. It has a fun look. It has a fun style. Though, I'm kind of intrigued by the original plan of this coming out on May 20th when the Teen Titans go and the DC superhero girls mayhem and the multiverse thing. That just seems strange to me that, that you had a DC project coming out into theaters and you had the second DC project coming out four days later on DVD, then four days after that on Cartoon Network, and then a month after that, it turns up on HBO Max. That's a weird pileup of somewhat... DC. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> I mean, think about how they've always had all those shows on CW, though, that are always conflicting. With- uh, good point. Good point. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and this is a carryover from last week's show, folks. We, we, we meant to do uh, mention this, but you had found out about the animated Lord of the Rings film, The War of the Rurrim. Am I saying that right? I don't know. That sounds about right. I'm glad you tried to say it and not me. Uh, I can't uh, believe I'm going to have to write this thing <laughs> well, for the next I mean, three I, years. I'm sorry. That, but, that sounds like a car yeah. that won't start. Like, Rurrim, Rurrim. So, um, but anyway, we, we've got a release date for that april 12 2024 and this is set 200 years before the trilogy which isn't the star wars the, oh, the high republic yes i mean isn't that yes. the same thing gonna set 200 we're all going back jim we're going back <sighs> oh by the way back to the past i i have to ask yes when you went to your press event did you get 
the Galaxy's Edge thing, I, I was gifted a copy of the exclusive press copy of the yes. uh, Halcyon Legacy comic book. Am I right that this is the most incomprehensible comic book in the history of man? It's been on my nightstand since, Jim. I mean... We need Dan Z in here to explain it to I, us. Or sorry, I, I read it and then I thought, okay, I clearly this must be anime and I'm reading it backwards. You know, it's just sort of like, you know, I, I need to start from the back and, and go forward. And right. it makes no sense. I just, but it's all, all, Listen, all crucial backstory for the Halcyon experience. Right. Did you see the Obi-Wan trailer? I did. I did. And it and it that looks fun. It does, but it's just at the same time I love the social media reaction where grown men are weeping. It's just sort of <laughs> like, all right, it's I I'm happy for you. I really am. But it's just like really? I saw something that I I'm looking forward to seeing, but not something that I believe is gonna change my life. You know, I'm looking at these shows now, Jim, and saying, oh, I have to stay up until midnight on a Tuesday night for the next <laughs> six weeks to watch the show. Oh, what I look at when I see Moon Knight, I think, oh, that looks fun. I'm going to be writing it up until 2 a.m. every night. So, anyway. Speaking of write-ups, folks, if you have not seen Drew's piece that he did for the wrap this week, you've been working on this thing for nine months, a year? <laughs> easy it's been a while it's yeah. been a while but i would you know i would come on the show and i would say jim i got andrew stanton or jim i talked to willem dafoe or whatever so it's an absolutely amazing piece i love that you got andrew for example to talk about i mean has he ever shared anything about the sequel no no we get like the, he, the first 15 minutes of that movie i will say that it helps if you've just watched the movie before you listen to this because I mean read his mm-hmm. pitch because if you don't remember who Sabthan and all these characters were the James Perfori character mm-hmm. it'll be a little foggy but I just think like the idea that he comes back to Mars yeah. there's a child there mm-hmm. she's missing Sabthan has been looking for him mm-hmm. the Tharks are in disarray I mean it's an amazing setup for a movie that we will never see which is so sad only you, the, the, the enter, entertainment writer uber nerd, could have made the Beneath the Planet of the Apes connection. I just, I, yes. I was reading that like, of course, the, the man who has a dog named Nova would make that connection. Yeah, the idea is that I guess there is a technologically advanced race mm. underneath the Martian surface that's <sighs> kind of the puppet master. Pretty cool. Pretty cool Pretty idea. Cool. But at the same yeah. time, I love that you got Andrew to talk about what it was like to have something you've been passionate about. You work for five years of your life and it suddenly goes south. I mean, for example, the, the stories he told about, you know, the original plan for the Finding Nemo sequel. Yeah, well, I was curious and, you know, he was very open. So I said, you know, were you kind of coerced into making Finding Dory? Mm-hmm. And he said, no, I was going to produce it mm-hmm. and write it, but I wasn't going to direct it. And I had been developing it already. Mm-hmm. But when I... When that happened, I wanted to sort of make a movie with family. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was very interesting and very honest. And it makes sense. Half the reason you have to read this piece, folks, is the stuff that Andrew Stanton shares. Because, man, you got him to open like a flower. This is not a guarded interview, you know, a guy holding back at all. I mean, you, you get everything out of him. Yeah. And I have probably twice as much stuff that didn't go in so maybe book book maybe book, there will be a book, book. yes book. yes okay. yeah all right but yeah i mean 
Michael Shaban was really illuminating too. He tells great stories, and he has certain sort of no foibles about having to work with any of these people again. <laughs> so you get in, you get in the room where they decided to lob off of Mars from the title, and you get someone's initial reaction to that in a very visceral way. And I hope that I hope it came to life. The story came to life for everyone. And so. I just I love that you put us back in the. Rich Ross, empty Carney world, because I that was <laughs> such a weird time. I mean, I was crazy it is right now with Bob Chapek. That time with the studio with Rich Ross and empty Carney, that that was an interesting time. Yeah, and the other thing that nobody has talked about is that they were actively negotiating for Star Wars oh. during the production of the movie. Mm-hmm. I love that you teed that up because I think, again, you know, the whole notion was this was going to be our Star Wars. It's like, no, hang on. We have a Star Wars. It is yeah, Star Wars. Need- <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't put a conspiracy out there, but I would say that the gusto for John Carter was pretty much lost, I think, when uh, they... George Lucas and uh, Bob Iger went and sat down in the Brown Derby after the opening of Star Tours in summer of 2011 and started having a chat. But at the same time, I, one of the things I love is you carved out time in the story to tell the Bob Iger phone call story. The notion of yes. him reaching out to Stanton and it's like, eh, it's okay. Not your fault. Yeah. This happens, you know. In fact, I, that that to me was one of the the more fascinating moments of. The Bob Iger reign at Disney when he, it was like Monday, Tuesday of... It was a, yeah, I think it was, it might have been an earnings call yeah. or something. Yeah. And just, just the effect yeah, he that, took responsibility, right? Yeah. I mean, to the effect of, you know, that that normally, again, the, the you know, the director goes down and it's like, and he was like, no, in this business, you take big swings and sometimes you miss. And it was strangely adult for that town. Yes. Chapek would have just, uh, you know, I don't know, punched himself in the face and fallen into a ditch or something afterwards. I, I'm not sure what he would have done. Anyway, the, the, the back to Pixar and, uh, and, of course, back to, to Turning Red. And when you and I were initially talking about this, when you got to see it weeks ago, and yeah. some of your headlines about this being the horniest Pixar film ever, but... The thing it does, it, it gets the real awkwardness of little girls. Well, not little girls. They're girls on the edge of puberty. Yes. But that's the thing. They're so real. Yeah, I didn't mean it as horny like in a bat. I just think it was a very honest portrayal of like feminine lust. Oh, no, no, absolutely. Something. In fact, I, that I, I was mentioning that I waited to open my copy of The Art of uh, Pixar's Turning Red. I mean, again, I followed Drew's orders. I didn't open it till after I saw the movie. Yes. And I love that halfway through this, there is May's sketchbook. You actually. Oh, I love that. <laughs> you get. Yes. You get to see all of her fantasy drawings for the clerk up the street. Do you want to talk about that cinema blend review? Oh, yeah. I am partially to blame for that whole thing, I feel, because mm-hmm. my response got a lot of attention. But plenty of other people tweeted it, so I can't feel too guilty. But it was basically a white critic saying the focus of the movie was too narrow so he couldn't identify with it and he called it exhausting and the review was really bad reading that review i don't understand what film he saw i i, I don't understand how you could walk away 
from watching Turning Red and have that reaction. There's no way you could have been in the same theater and seen the same thing. Reading that review, it, it just kind of reminded me of the whole Kung Flu thing, or, or I think you and I talked about mm. the Kelly Marie Tran thing that happened with The Last Jedi when so many of the Star Wars fans piled on because how dare you do a film where you have an Asian female in a lead role and being a it's hero. because he, he didn't feel that way about Coco, yeah. but yet he feels that way about Turning Red. And I think Turning Red... To me, Turning Red is like top tier Pixar. I, you know, it's so interesting you say that because I was trying to figure out. I'm honestly going to have to to think about this, but I, I would say at the very least, it's it's top ten. And yeah. like I said, I want to circle back and watch it again, but I might even consider top five. And I was already trying to figure out. If I'm reordering things, where does Luca fit in? Because I, I think that... Luca's amazing, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And I've heard so many great things about Lightyear. Obviously, we're very excited about that. I already have my Band-Aids with the characters <laughs> on of Chimps. So. I, I did that. No, they were out there. Okay, <laughs> cool. You should obviously watch this documentary, too, for more insight Absolutely. into the making of Turning Red. And like Jim said, the art of book is amazing. But also... People should be paying attention to The Wrap because you have a couple of additional stories you're going to be posting there about yes. this Domi Shi film. So, um, let I will be, yeah, we'll have something about the alternate versions that didn't exist. So, Jim, you, you would appreciate this because I went through that book and mm. I, with a Sherlock Holmes magnifying glass yeah. and I said, Who is this? Who is this? Who mm. is this? And so, you'll learn about the the gangster character that was trying to take over the temple at one point. You'll learn about when, when May was actually installed in the temple as a deity. You'll learn about all these crazy alternate versions. I think of the first 10 or so pages of the art of book, they, they talk about the original idea of May having a double life, the dutiful daughter at home, but she's Rebell in fact, they had those, you know, those bright red outfits that she supposedly changed into that she got to school. Yeah. But then they talk about how Domi recalled her own childhood. And it's like, that wasn't who I was. I was the dutiful daughter. But at the same time, because I was just 13 and that's what happens, you know, when hormones kick in, I was rebellious. But at the same time, I love... That, for example, when they, they, they were working on Ming, and of course there's, there is the stereotype of the, the tiger mom. Yeah. And how, again, the folks at Pixar didn't want to settle for the easy thing. You know, let's make her a tiger mom. And it's like, no, this character can be de deeper. This character can be different. She's amazing. Sandra Oh, that's like one of my favorite vocal performances. You know, we were talking about vocal performances mm -hmm. last week. Yep. I thought her performance was amazing well no she did a great job but at the same time wasn't it you know again it's like oh it's james hung he's still kicking i just saw him at the mall jim don't did worry you really like, oh yes. oh but but yeah i mean if you think about what an animation superstar he is between the emperor's representative in, in mulan and yep. mr ping and the kung fu panda things and then this, I mean, it's just such a fun little role, but so crucial to the story. Well, I loved how kind of 80s <laughs> Saturday morning cartoon the ritual mm -hmm. was. I mean, it just surprised you at every turn. That could have been a real solemn kind of like 
you know, light the candle thing. Yep. And, it, and he's got a sword with a laser shooting out of it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. every time this you think this movie is going to zig, it zags uh... in the most beautiful and affecting. I, th- I found the third act to be very emotionally engaging. I have to admit, when, when we got to the astral plane, especially the second trip to the astral plane. Yes. We won't say too much about it. No, but, that, that, that yeah. what happens at the dome in Toronto, though I will say this much. I love the fact that when they were doing the four town concerts, they talk about how they spent months looking at fan sites for boy bands from that time to get the look, <laughs> the style, everything down. Well, I asked Domi, I said, you know, how much research did you do? I mean, do they exist in the same world as Backstreet Boys? I said, I told her Tarantino did fi- wrote five episodes of Bounty Law for <laughs> Once Upon a Time in America. How deep do you know about Fort, Fort Town? But she, you know, she, she said that, yeah, they were real. They were hanging out. You know, one of them was supposed to be older at one point oh. where when all the crazy stuff starts to happen, he says, hey, man, I got a couple of kids. And I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> there was an older, there's supposed to be an older one. Anyway, uh-huh. you'll, you'll see all this coming, coming forth okay. in the next few days. But the fact that you got to see this up on the big screen in the L cap. Mm. Oh, people were losing their minds. I mean, it was like going to a rock concert. And Domi is such a star. I cannot wait. The one thing they Pixar will have to do is lock her down. Oh. We've seen so many Josh Cooley, Lee Unkrich. A lot of people have been going out the door. They need to, I don't know what, back the money truck up to her apartment I, and just make her stay there, right? I totally agree. I mean, get you know, but at the same time, think about it. As sweet and as charming and as small as Bao was, yeah. would you have predicted that the person who brought us Bao could deliver this? Well, she has such a point of view. Mm-hmm. I think this is totally of a piece with Bao. And I, what I think will be interesting is when people watch this mm-hmm. and Brave together, because they are both uh... movies about communication between mothers and daughters and a magical transformation that gets in the way of that communication. That's but a I feel really like this, oh I love that I uh, that that's right? a, that's like, a great this connection. Is such a, yeah, this is such a different vibe, and I feel like just so idiosyncratic oh, and no, relatable. totally. I mean, it, it, yeah. it, it's so vivid and tangible. And again, I just and I love the fact that the way they leaned into the awkwardness of prepubescent girls and made it so relatable. From the Ferris Bueller-like opening, two minutes in, you're captured. And it's got a real edge, too. I mean, there's the scene where she attacks the boy at the party. Yeah. And- which sort of reminded me of almost like Edward Scissorhands, you know, where the scene where he's kind of cutting the little boy. There we go. It's real. It's These are real. This is real stuff. It's good. Maze in the second and third act of this thing. Watch it, Jim. Watch it. I'm just it. saying, you know, from Watch an it. adolescent dealing with a parent, it's like yes. these, they don't pull their punches. Well, and what about how Ming, Ming is put in May's position when she's dealing with her mother oh, on the phone and her mother coming to visit. That, we can't say anything about this. No, we can't. The grand, grandmother coming is a big deal. It is, and... and Seriously, if you haven't watched Turning Red by this point, just do it now. I'm more to the point. How can you call yourself an animation fan if you haven't watched <laughs> Turning Red by now? I, I guess my only qualm 
is I feel like this is a film that deserves to be rewarded, but being released in March, by the time we get around to award season for 2023, you know, we're going to have things like The Bad Guys. We're going to have things like Lightyear. You're going to have things like Across the Spider-Verse Part 1. And I just, I worry that... Strange World, Pinocchio, Wendell and Wild, uh, Apollo 10 and a half. Jim, this is a big year for animation. It is, it is. And I just feel like people are going to be talking about this movie 10, 15, 20 years from now. I want to see it get a couple of trophies to put on Domi's mantle. Yes. I just worry with this release date, the industry doesn't tend to remember things that open this early in the year. So, But Jim, she's not even she's not even 40 yet. Okay, we've got a long road of Domi brilliance to come, I hope. How many people fit in the El Capitan? I don't know what, 1,800 people got to see this? Well, they're showing it all week, I think, and oh. they're also doing really fun at-home packages that you can come and you'll get a pin and popcorn and all that fun stuff. So you can actually have the El Cap experience at home, too, if you want. Okay. Just go to the theater and pick up this pack. Okay. Um, you know, they're giving away the little marquee pins, which are always so hard to find mm-hmm. after the fact. So, and go get a milkshake next door. Those Ghirardelli milkshakes. Good God, they are. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. They're good. Okay, and and speaking of of other things that are good, seriously, folks, if you are not listening to Light the Fuse, you get interviews you don't get anywhere on Light the Fuse. So what do we got this week? We're still doing our our sort of cinematography breakdown of the series, which people are actually really enjoying, so I'm I'm glad about that. And then I think we're going to do some kind of bonus super episodes where we'll put together a few episodes that we've had sort of broken up oh, over the, the few weeks. Excellent And idea. give that to you as one big lump sum. So maybe if you're going on spring break mm-hmm. or something or on a big car trip, you can listen to all that at once. So I'll get you that stuff next week but we're trying we're having a little break right now because we've got top gun maverick coming up and we're trying to figure that out so don't worry light the fuse light the fuselage we'll be in we'll be coming strong for for top gun maverick cool cool okay and you're missing out if you're not following drew on social media so can you tell folks how to do that Sure, that's Drew Tailored, like a tailored shirt, mm-hmm. uh, on Instagram and Twitter, and obviously light the fuse episodes every week, just like fine tuning and. If you're looking for us on social media, you can go uh, find us on Twitter and Instagram at Jim Hill Media, and then over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. That's going to do it for this week, folks. Thanks for listening, and Drew and I will be back soon.